91.1 Weagle presents the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345. Call now. You can follow Jacob and Bay on Twitter at Bay underscore Marks and at Jacob underscore Hillman 3. Now let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome into the final scoreboard episode of the semester and of 2021. I'm Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks as always as we have a bit of a packed show as we review the epic Iron Bowl that occurred on Saturday. Get into some Auburn basketball, preview the NFL's week, and maybe look at some NBA stuff that we will miss over the winter break. But today, how are you doing, Bay? I'm doing good. Um, this weekend was a tough pill to swallow, to say the <laughs> least, being my last game as a student in Jordan-Hare, but last night was a was an okay consolation to that, so uh, I'm making it. Well, I mean, here's the thing. That atmosphere was so incredible that it's hard to be too – I mean, think about it. The 2019 game, now I will say it's different in the fact that 2019 was an incredible atmosphere, and even had Auburn lost that game, it still would have been like – that was a heck of a game to watch. It was fun. A little bit different on Saturday. That was a, like you said, a tough pill to swallow that yeah. it's going to be remembered for a long time. First overtime in Iron Bowl history, Alabama comes out on top in four overtimes with the two-point conversion rule that even Alabama fans don't like. It was horrible. I mean, we we saw how bad the sample size and the Penn State-Indiana game was earlier this year. I believe it was, and that one went to nine overtimes. I believe it was Illinois, but yes. Or Illinois, yeah. Uh, but point being that, I mean, that's something that needs to be changed back. I mean, it, it's also like a, a a false imaging and a false framing of, dang, a game went to nine overtimes. It's like, well, after the second overtime, it's a it's a, oh, it's a, it's a shootout. Yeah, yeah. You, you get one play each, so... It, it was a it was a tough way for Auburn to go out. I personally would have rather seen the old format being placed out in that. And I also told this to a lot of people when I was walking out of the stadium was that offensively, Auburn did not deserve to win that game. The defense 100% deserved to win that game. When you hold the number two at the time team in the nation, or were they number three? They were still number three. The number three team in the nation to 10 points in regulation and three points until the last uh, 20 or 30 seconds left in the game. You deserve to win. Well, and looking at the overtime, I think there are ways to fix that where you don't end up with the LSU-Texas A&M game that happened in 2018. Maybe move them back to the 50 because then you're not automatically in field goal range. There's a chance that the team doesn't score and then you only need 15 yards. You need a first down and a few more yards and you can be in field goal range. So there are ways to fix that that doesn't involve just reverting back to the old way. So right. we'll see what the NCAA does. I don't know if that will do anything this this offseason, but maybe in a year or two. I have to imagine that more and more outcomes like this will result in a change because For sure. Cause that's a that's a bad way to end that game. I mean That's how rules are. They always change, especially something like that. And and credit to Auburn's defense, because there was just nothing they could do. They were absolutely gassed. You cannot blame Roger McCray on the last play of the game. First of all, the route, that was a heck of a route by John Mechie. And second of all, after playing the game of his career, going into four overtimes, he's absolutely gassed out there. I mean, there's nothing more Roger can really do. So um, hats off to the defense for that game, especially trying their best in overtime. But, man, the offense did not help them much at all, which also led to, of course, Mike Bobo and Auburn reaching an agreement to split. 
Alabama defeats Auburn 24-22 in four overtimes. One of the most epic Iron Bowls in history. Auburn led 10-0 heading into the fourth quarter. As you mentioned, Bay, the defense played lights out, just pinned its ears back, and played one of its best games of the season. Credit to Derek Mason. Credit to all those guys that went out there and put forth one of the best efforts I've ever seen. And really, it, it like you said, the offense wasn't all the way there. Now you're down to your backup quarterback. Your backup quarterback gets injured. He was hobbled ankle. And really, it was tough to get the running game going as well. Tank Bigsby did get to 1,000 yards with his 63 rushing yards in that game. But overall, what, what's the takeaway as Auburn finishes the season 6-6? Six and six? Uh, I mean, the biggest things, of course, I mean, like I just mentioned, A, Mike Bobo is out as offensive coordinator. Going into this game, you really had that underlying sense of him and as well as Derek Mason, both were kind of probably kind of coaching for their jobs at that point. Mason's defense, letting Mississippi State come back with that collapse, giving up as many points as they did to South Carolina. Um, I really, truly think Derek Mason saved his job in the Iron Bowl for the time being. And then just the offense, I mean – Second game under T.J. Finley, you don't expect crazy things, and you can't make the excuse, although it is true if Bo Nix plays in that game, Auburn wins. But the takeaway in that game was just how incredibly well the defense played to give the offense so many chances to win. And now credit to Alabama's front seven. I mean, Will Anderson and those guys had a heck of a run game defense. They played great. The secondary held Auburn's wide receivers down. Um, Like you said, Tank Bigsby only had 63 rushing yards and Auburn only had a total of, I believe, like 150-something yards on offense. Right. Um, but point being, um, I'm trying to find a total. Yeah, 159 total yards for Auburn on offense. Auburn's offense did not do anything to win that game for them. No, and I think if you look at the fourth quarter, this, is, this has gone around Twitter a little bit it, towards the beginning of the week. If Auburn just knees it out on every play in the fourth quarter, they likely win yeah. because of the field position that – Auburn gave on the interception by Finley. And then, obviously, when Tank Bigsby goes out of bounds. Now, yeah, if Tank Bigsby doesn't go out of bounds. I think there's a lot. I think there's too much blame on that because I also think that's a great play by Jordan Battle. It was. Of Alabama. It was. Because he pulled him out of bounds. He realized he knew the situation. And he realized he was close enough where he could do that. And I think Tank was trying to go for that first down. And he still was close enough inbounds where – you know, he's not thinking, oh, this guy's going to make one of the plays of his life to get me out of bounds. He was thinking, I'm close enough, and I'm still far enough in bounds where I can go down even if I don't get the first down. Sure enough, it didn't work out in Auburn's favor because they don't get the third down. That's punted away, and Bryce Young has what potentially could be his Heisman moment with that insane drive. See, and I'm going to have to disagree with you on there on that one. I don't really see it being a Heisman moment due to the way he played the first 58 minutes worth of that game. Um, 25 for 51 for 317 yards, two touchdowns, one interception was his total stat line. Yes, and and that's credit to Auburn's defensive line for the way that he played. You look at the stat line, I mean, Colby Wooden and Derek Hall having great games. Uh, Derek Wall had, Hall had three total sacks and three and a half tackles for a loss. He had the game of his career. Colby Wooden also led the team. With 11 tackles, he also had a sack and a tackle for loss. Um, and also TD Moultrie getting in on the phone a little bit. So I think Auburn's defensive line carving up the Alabama O-line had to do a lot with Bryce Young in that game. But I wouldn't say that that's a Heisman moment for him because think about it. It took four overtimes in that, in that final drive for them to beat a 6-6 six and six Auburn team on a backup quarterback who, like you mentioned earlier, was playing on one leg. Yeah, And, and it only scored 10 points. Yeah, and I, I think it's more so... If he does win the Heisman, 
then I think a lot of people will look back. Now, of course, that could change this weekend because Alabama does play Georgia in the SEC Championship. We know what Georgia's made of, and things could change a lot this weekend. I think the issue is who who else are you going to pick? Oh, CJ Stroud probably won't win it because he doesn't have a game yeah. this week. Yeah. So that, that's the thing. We, we'll we we'll see who wins the Heisman in the coming weeks. It's, which, it's really a wide-open race. Which kind of sucks because yeah. it, it hasn't been as competitive as we've been used to the past few years with the great talent through college football. And I'm a stand believer in CJ Stroud with the Michigan State performance put him in first in the Heisman race. I, now, I've, I think it is absolutely neck and neck right now between the two. And again, the fact that Ohio State loses last week and puts him out of the Big Ten championship hurts him, but he played better in the Big Ten or in, in uh, the Michigan game, in my opinion, than Bryce Young did in the Iron Bowl. Well, but we'll see. That's another. Yeah, I was gonna say we'll, we'll see that that comes out next week after the Army Navy game, as usual. But I think talking a little bit more about you know specifically some individual performances on defense: Kobe McLean, uh, Colby Wooden, yeah. Derek Hall. Those guys really played the, some of the games of their lives and. It, it was good to see them really make make their uh, name fell. You know, I think it's a Kobe McClay's credit for two solo tackles. A lot of people were talking about that. I, I mean, come on. He was in on almost every single yeah. play, almost every single run play. Yeah. Plus, that just shows how dominant the defensive line was. Yeah. That just means the defensive lineman got to the running back or Bryce Young before Jacoby was there because, hey, they're closer to us. So. Yeah, and, and he's also good for a player to a game running over some sort of blocker to get to the ball carrier. Happened this weekend against Alabama. I'm, I'm sure you saw that clip on Twitter. Um, he had a great going out game at Auburn. Uh, honestly, one of the more underappreciated men to ever go through Auburn's football program. I agree. I mean, he, he didn't even get selected for the uh, Senior Bowl. He didn't get selected All-American. Or I don't think he will, but I mean... So Kobe McClain will get drafted. Won't, it probably won't be the first round like Roger McCreary. Roger McCreary. Roger's draft stock flew. Yeah. Like, if it wasn't already high enough. He made a lot of money uh, on Saturday. Yeah. And I think he is a top 15 pick with potential, with good combine performances, good just – Which he should because – Good offseason. He's been one of the – Top He's a strong guy. He I mean, is. I remember two years ago when we were sophomores because he's the same age as us. Um, I think it was Derek Brown or somebody made the comment of – he's like one of the strongest guys in the weight room. Like, he can swing some weight around. He's fast. He's athletic, as we saw him covering Alabama's wide receiving core. And not to mention, having Jamison Williams thrown out of the game early uh, for Alabama helped the Auburn Tigers at least keep it within range. If Jamison Williams stays in the game, Auburn doesn't have two corners with the athleticism of Roger McCray to keep up with him and John Mechie. Yeah, I say to NFL scouts, if you want to watch Roger McCray film, watch that game on Saturday – and watch the LSU game for 2019 against Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, yes. and a bunch of guys that are in the NFL now. Yes. So I, I just think it was overall a great performance for the Auburn defense. The Auburn offense was not up to par, and it is what it is. It's first year under Brian Harson. You know, November, four straight losses, not how you want to end it. But you still see positives from early in the year, yeah. and you compete it like crazy in this game and, and in, a, in a sense of recap I mean I know especially the last few weeks in the Auburn world it's been really easy to point fingers at Harson, and he and he's accepted that I mean he's it's my job I'm the head coach I take all the blame but he has shown the confidence in the in the and the bravery in being able to step up own those mistakes and fire an offensive coordinator he fired two coaches so far this season I mean, he fired Cornelius Williams. He also, I don't know if he was fired or let go, whatever the situation is. But uh, Bobo's not on the team anymore is what right. I'm trying to say. So my point being, he has shown that courage in saying, I'm not afraid to make changes with this team. I'm 
I'm truly a believer in the fact that if you get the right guy in that spot and if Auburn can pick up some heat on the recruiting trail, which it sounds like they are, the Auburn can have a winning recipe under Harson. After after seeing year one. Yeah, I think recruiting is so important. We'll obviously talk our first show back. We'll probably recap the recruiting signing day day and things like that and talk about that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm not sure exactly what day it is. Middle of December. It'll be like December 15th or something like that. And really, that is such a crucial day. Yeah. Because Auburn right now, the the ranking isn't good. No. But like Bay said, it just feels like there's steam picking up. They're just people have said things that makes it seem like Okay, these guys are interested. These guys are interested. It seems like these guys are near committing. So, and we'll especially with that, and especially with the coaching carousel. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have entered the transfer portal, Ooh. have decommitted. I mean, if you are Brian Harson and you are the different coordinators and assistant coaches, now is your time to hop on these guys. And obviously, if you're on social media, you've seen them traveling around Alabama. Uh, I don't know if they've gone out of state yet, but they have been starting to travel around since Saturday and try and recruit some guys until the bowl game preparation starts, which we still don't know where Auburn has uh, been selected yeah. yet. Um, but they they really need to put all of their effort towards recruiting because, as Jacob pointed out, it's it's not looking strong right now, but there's potential to finish on a high note. They'll, they won't be a top four or five in the SEC recruiting class, but they can finish on the better side of things. Like you said, Auburn has not found out their bowl destination. Auburn 6-6, six and six, LSU 6-6, six and six, Florida 6-6. Six and six. South Carolina six and six, Missouri, Missouri six, six and six. six. So you have all these teams at six and six plus Tennessee at seven and five. That Mississippi State's also seven and five. Where it's so jumbled up. I have seen projections for Auburn in just about every single bowl that you they could possibly play in. There's I don't know if this is true. I need to go fact check this. But I saw something on social media that said eighty three teams this year across the country are bowl eligible, but there's only eighty two spots. spots. So Somebody's going to get left. It's obviously not going to be Auburn. That's not what I'm saying. But you know how I my proposal to fix that? What? That team that gets left out gets to play Texas since they're five and seven. <laughs> you know, I, I like that idea. You yeah. Know? Give, I, give, give them Texas and see what happens. Yeah. Well, we will find out Auburn's bowl destination on Sunday. So it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting to see all the bowl games that the SEC has because, like you said, we have no idea. No clue. Well, something that could re- will end up. Something that could really shake it all up too, especially in the SEC, is the result of Saturday's game. Yep, for the SEC championship. But I mean, who we knows? are going to head to a quick PSA break. On the other side of this break, on the scoreboard, we're going to recap Auburn basketball's win over UCF and look ahead to the winter break and a little bit of SEC play. You're listening to the Scoreboard on WGL 91.1 FM. Thank you for tuning into the Scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the Scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. And welcome back to the Scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. Or if you're streaming to the Scoreboard live on WeagleFM.com, thank you for joining Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman today live from the Bradley Basin studio at Auburn University's Student Center, the Harold Melton Student Center, that is. If you missed our recap about the Iron Bowl, Auburn moving forward in the offseason and their bowl projections, possibly, go back and listen to today's replay of the scoreboard wherever you may find your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever that may be. Moving on in segment number two today, Jacob and I are going to recap the Auburn men's basketball team's very nice victory against the UCF Knights last night in Auburn Arena. Auburn, of course, coming back from their two-and-a-half-week hiatus away from the Plains. They traveled down and beat USF and then went to the Battle for Atlantis in the Bahamas where they came away with a 2-1 and record 
a tragic uh, double overtime loss to UConn and then picking up two big wins against Loyola, Chicago, and Syracuse. All three of those teams more than likely going to be playing in March this year. So, Auburn returning last night, 5-1 Auburn facing off against 4-1 UCF. Auburn comes away with the victory, 85-68. to And the key highlights in this game, Walker Kessler, Jabari Smith, and second-half defense really tells you all that you need to know, Jacob. Yeah, I really think that these big guys are starting to come along. And like you said, it's the second-half play has really helped Auburn a lot in games this season. They really sometimes aren't necessarily – where they want to be at halftime like they were last night, but then they come out and they dominate in the second half and really bring energy and, you know, bring focus to to the floor. And I think that's really been a game changer in every game so far this year. And specifically, Auburn has improved in about every game this year. Yeah. That, mean, that, that That's just so important to see as you move through non-conference play and hopefully continues at the SEC play. Yeah, they for sure have improved in every game so far this year. They scored nearly 50 last night in the second half. I mean, the first half got off to a hot start. Both teams had nearly 30 points with less than 10 minutes into the game already. And like I had mentioned earlier, the stars of last night's game for Auburn, Mr. Double-Double, it seems like, is going to be this year. Yeah. Walker Kessler, four, or 17 points, 14 rebounds. Also adds just a casual, you know, six blocks in there. Nothing too special. Almost a triple-double. All blocks. Um, and then you have Jabari Smith, the freshman phenom, with 20 points, seven rebounds, four assists, and also three steals. How about that defense from the young freshman? Um, I know you mentioned Auburn improving so far in every game this year, and I know that has to do with playing time with each other, the chemistry. We still haven't seen Alan Flanagan back yet for Auburn. What did you see last night that really kind of was an indicator for you that has shown you that Auburn has improved every game this year? Is that something they haven't been doing before, playing a little bit cleaner? I mean, I think it's the adjustment to that press. You notice in the first six minutes or so, Auburn was turning the ball over, and they were not – they were giving up points off of those turnovers. And then after that, the press was no factor. It was not at all, and Auburn was able to get past it and really get the offense going. The fact that they did that and really gelled together towards the end of the first half and – all the way through the second half is part of it because, you know, you look at a game like like in Atlantis, Auburn did well. They performed well, but it also felt like there were times that the offense was discombobulated. They were just running ISOs or players weren't getting passes off to where they needed to. Last night, it felt like the offense was more ready to go. There were still a few possessions that you look at and you think, yeah, that's, that's not how that's supposed to go. But – it felt like a majority of the game, the offense looked focused and sharp, and that's important against a UCF team. They're big and physical. They, they, they performed well. Yeah, I mean, Auburn in that first half, especially early, just they'd beat the press uh, more times than not, but you had a few possessions where that press really got to Auburn and Jabari and Wendell trying to bring the ball up the floor, even Zepp, and guys not helping and coming to the middle of the floor. Once they made that adjustment, adjustment and you had either – Jalen Williams or Walker Kessler coming to the logo, being that outlet guy. And then you have a three-on-two break. I mean, it, it, was, it really wasn't hard for Auburn to beat that press. It was just them realizing them needing to do it moving forward in the game. Um, for me, I think the biggest improvement has been second-half adjustments. We saw it against USF, really. I mean, more so towards the end of the first half. Um, but last night, and that's also credit to Bruce, was he said in the locker room that they were playing or they were being outplayed by energy and by effort. 
And the second half, Auburn made the adjustment of turning up the energy, turning up the effort, and we saw that second half defense kick in, which is truly really suffocating. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, Katie Johnson, Seth Jasper, and obviously the front court is just so, as you said, suffocating. And you saw Katie Johnson steal that ball away with, and my lord, reverse dunked. Yeah. And then Zeb Jasper, he's just a pest to anybody. Yeah. He doesn't make the flashy highlights. So but he's not, all up in their group. Exactly. You're not going to hear about him as much because, one, the ball isn't going to go to his man as much. And, two, he's not making flashy steals or flashy scores, but they're not getting past him. And chances are they're not getting a shot off no. because he's so close to them and he's not fouling a lot. He had a possession or two last night, a sequence where he was just, he was everywhere. Um, I mean, somebody accredited it to him on Twitter, and I believe it was in the second half. But, yeah, I mean, it's nothing flashy and nothing that's going to get the credit that it deserves. But Zepp's defense, it, truly, and especially him and KD on the floor together, I mean, good luck to the other team's guards playing. Right, and we, and we knew coming into the season that's how it would be. What we didn't know was that KD Johnson was going to be inserted into the starting lineup in Atlantis, and turns out that's going to be the best starting lineup that you have. Obviously, when Flanagan comes back, he'll replace Devin Cambridge. That lineup is terrifying. Right. See, that and, is such and, a great defensive lineup. It, it's great defensively and offensively in a sense. And honestly, I know the difference between Wendell and Zepp, and we kind of knew this coming into the year as well, was going to be Zepp has a better defense than Wendell. Wendell's offense may be a little bit better. But those two guys are interchangeable too, depending on whoever you're playing that night. Right, and it doesn't really matter because it's almost like you need a spark on offense, bring in Wendell, let him shoot a three from the half court, middle of the half court logo. Casually. Just easily. Or make an insane half-court bounce pass. Yeah, to Katie Johnson in a fast break. I mean, that's the thing. Auburn has so many options, and I believe that Coach Pearl is figuring out the best way to use them because, obviously, when you have so many guys, how are you supposed to do it? Dylan Carl didn't have a good game last night. He had four fouls and, like, two rebounds. Yeah, which it, a it few was, of those calls were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was fine because Walker Kessler had 17 points, 14 rebounds. Jabari Smith. Did his thing. Jalen Williams was in there. There's going to be a game where Walker Kessler doesn't play well. Dylan Carwell will need to step up. Yeah. That's just how it's going to be all season. And obviously, I think these guys have each other's backs. And I think each and every one of these guys, it doesn't matter what the lineup, we talked about it early in the game. Chris, Moore, the lineup was, I don't remember what it was, but it was a lineup we had not seen yet this year. It was like Chris Zeb, Moore, Katie, Chris Moore, Jalen, and Dylan. It yeah, was something strange. We had not seen that before. But it wasn't a terrible lineup. They they were they were scoring a little bit and they were making stops. It wasn't like it was the biggest run of the game, but it it had success. Yeah, and that's a good thing to see whenever Bruce puts out this lineup we haven't seen before, and it works immediately. So I really think that these guys are gelling together, and it's only going to get better when Flanagan comes back. No, I agree, and and that's the scary part is Allen still isn't back yet. I mean, and I think they're still hopeful for a mid-December return for him. I think that St. Louis game and Moorhead State game is the games to look at. Yeah, he might. It won't. He won't start or anything, but come off the bench, play like ten minutes, get ready for LSU and SEC play. Yeah, and honest. Yeah, bring him back a game or two before conference play, get his feet wet again, and knock some rust off. Now, let's be honest. He might not start the first game or two he's back, but if we see him truly get back into the rhythm he was pre-injury inserting him into the starting lineup for Devin Cambridge, who only had eight points last night. I mean, offensive and defensive juggernaut. That might be one of the best starting fives in college basketball. Easily. I think what I've seen on social media whenever whenever people talk about Auburn is, hey, they're missing like their second best player. 
Yeah. Because Jabari Smith, obviously, he's the best player on the team. He's going to be a top three overall pick had in the four, NBA draft. Four straight twenty plus point games. Yeah, he he, and not to mention Walker Kessler has three double doubles in four games. Yeah. The reason he didn't have the other one was because he got in foul trouble. Yeah. So that's just something that people are recognizing, and obviously, we know better than people around the country. And everyone's going to see it once SEC play starts and Auburn really starts to perform. So it'll be important for Flanagan to get his feet wet and start SEC play hot because LSU will likely be undefeated when they come to Auburn Arena on December 29th. Florida, they lost Oklahoma last night, but still a solid team on January 8th. And then you're going to Alabama on that following Tuesday. And you honestly, besides him starting before the season or playing before the season even starts, you couldn't ask for a better time for Allen to come back. I mean, right before SEC play starts, get him a few games in to get his or knock his rust off, which – I, honestly, I'm sure Allen is might be practicing right now. Surely. I mean. We saw a tip off of Tumors. He was able to get up and shoot three-pointers and knock him down yeah. really easily. Yeah. So I, I'm sure there's light running involved, and he's able to do things like that where it, it, now, he's not going to be completely out of, out of whack because he's only been out for two to three months now, I guess. Yeah, it, it's not a long-term injury. Now, I will, I will say real quick, it, it is going to be interesting for me personally to see what the offense looks like. I, I know what the defense will look like, but we saw last year when Allen Flanagan really emerged as Auburn's best scorer, especially when former Auburn Tiger Justin Powell was on the team. The offense really slowed down. We haven't seen that this year besides in half-court sets maybe where we are trying to run something a little bit slower. Auburn really ha- kind of took a step back last year with Allen Flanagan running the one, the two, and the three and had a very slow offense. My biggest concern when he comes back is going to be implementing him into a fast-paced offense and if he can keep up. Because Allen does play a little bit slower, if I'm being honest, when it comes to offense. Now, he can knock down the jump shot, which is perfectly fine. But you have to find a way to incorporate that into a faster-paced offense with fast-playing guys like KD Johnson, Jabari Smith, Wendell, I mean, Zepp, all the the guys that like to play high-motor. Do we think, though, that that's because he was running the point guard last year or – do we think now that he's back in that small forward position, he's going to be able to easily just move into that and be able to do it? I mean, I I honestly think it was with him without him playing the one. I mean, even when Sharif was playing point last year and he was at the two handling the ball-wise, Allen really slows the pace of the game down. And that's not a negative by any means as long as you can execute the offense and score. But with the way Bruce Pearl plays, he plays faster and it's just going to be interesting for me to see if Allen keeps up with the pace with the guys who have already been in the rotation by that time it'll be what nine or ten games into the season um that's that's my biggest concern for when he returns as you mentioned though the defense is the most important thing you get with him and we and we know what we'll get with that yeah he's so good and and you're gonna have five guys that are some of the best like I think those five guys will all have potential to be on an SEC all defensive team at the end of the year they, they are all some of the best defenders in the nation at their position, I would definitely say. Auburn's only allowed 67.9 points per game. And on Saturday, Auburn will be back in Auburn Arena. They'll be facing Yale for the sweater game. Oh, yeah. A little birdie told me the jungle's encouraging the jungle to wear uh, sweaters. Wear those Christmas sweaters. Might win a prize if it looks good and we like it. So, 1 o'clock on Saturday, tip-off at Auburn Arena. And on the other side of the break here on the scoreboard, we're going to get into the NFL and then a little later on, 
We're going to talk about the coaching carousel and some championship week college football. Do not go anywhere. This is Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman live on the scoreboard. WEGL 91.1 FM. We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can find more Weagle content at WeagleFM.com or on social media at Weagle underscore AU. Welcome back into the scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM, WeagleFM.com. If you're streaming, I'm Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Marks. If you want to be a part of the shows, we get into our NFL predictions and the fun coaching carousel we have in college football coming up. Dial 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-9345. And we'll see what you think about that. But we're going to move into week 13. NFL predictions. Both of our teams are on buys. You said that right, Bay? Yes, we that, get to enjoy uh, not having to worry about our teams this week. We'll enjoy an NFL Sunday after we... We watch Auburn play Oklahoma State in the SEC Big 12 Challenge for women's basketball. But we'll start off tonight with this is such a weird matchup it because is. of the all the outside factors. Cowboys, injuries, COVID, everything you could ask for against the Saints, starting Taysom Hill. What in the world is going to happen here? I mean, Dallas losing three out of their last four. I mean, losing a game to Denver they shouldn't have lost. Crushing Atlanta in the middle of all of it. Losing at Kansas City and getting suffocated by their defense, and then a heartbreaker on on Thanksgiving four days after that. Um, I want to pick Dallas. Uh, I'd I'd rather trust Dallas's offense than having Taysom Hill step up and playing for the Saints. So I'm going to pick Dallas on the road. I think they get back on track. I truly believe when they're hitting their stride and executing, I think they're one of the better teams in the NFL. Now, with that being said, it is going to be interesting to see how they perform this weekend without Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. Dan Quinn will be coaching oh, Dallas Cowboys. He is 4-8 and eight against the Saints, obviously, from his time at Atlanta. I don't think that plays as much of a factor. But he's interesting. Mike McCarthy, it's not like he's – I don't think he's anything special. You, no, you know, I, I completely agree with you, you there. You know, yeah. you know. And I think that really getting back CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper tonight, that's going to make the difference for the Cowboys. I think they win, and I think they cover that six-point line. I agree. Moving to Sunday, NFC South matchup. Bucks, Falcons. Falcons keep trying to act like they're they're not. They're not a good team. No. Bucks, they are trying to move towards the playoffs and have some momentum there. Yeah, and they're really, I mean, they are not a good team away from home this year. You see their record away from home is three and three. They haven't lost a single game at home. So on the road is an interesting struggle we've seen with Tampa Bay this year. However, I don't think that's going to be a struggle for them this weekend. I mean, well, home field advantage is there anyway. Exactly. And, and I mean, plus the fact that the Falcons this year, if you've watched them at all, you know that's not an impressive offense. I mean, the defense is very weak. I think Tom Brady and company, I think they moved to 9-3 and three this weekend in Atlanta. I think the most important thing for Tampa Bay is getting healthy. Richard Sherman on injured reserve. Vitavea, he came back last week. He God, lost, he losing, lost a, a lost tooth. Yeah, that was in the process. Ugh, just think about that, like the feeling of that. Yeah, like, no thanks. Ugh. Devin White, he's injured as well. He's questionable for the game. So I think the important thing for the Bucks is getting healthy. Either they lose this game somehow. I just, I don't see it mattering that much. Give me Bucks, eleven point dog. I'm gonna say the Falcons cover that though. I think that the the defense of the Falcons can step up enough and do things there. All right, here's a fun one. Cardinals Bears. Well, I mean, the Cardinals, they've been surviving without their starting quarterback and their best wide receiver. Can they do it one more week if 
if they're still gone. I was about we don't know. They're questionable. I was about to say, they are both so questionable. If they do return, I say they win this game. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see. I think Chicago can be due for a few wins here towards this last home stretch of the season. They lost a, several straight before they won against Detroit last week. I mean, of course, it was just Detroit and Andy Dalton started that game. Um, especially if he starts, I think they can beat Arizona. But again, that's all pending on the health of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. And the quarterback for the Bears, Justin Fields, he has a ribs injury that are not broken. He was limited at Wednesday's practice. So we don't know what the report is from today. So he might be back and starting. I don't think it really matters. Cardinals are going to win this game, and they're going to move to 10-2 as one of the best teams in the NFL. If they have Kyler Murray back, they're covering that seven-and-a-half-point spread. Of course. This is one of the best matches of the weekend. Chargers, Bengals, the records aren't great, but I think this will be one of the most fun games to watch. Over under 50-and-a-half, and the Bengals are coming off a massive win over the over the Steelers. Yeah, two quarterbacks from the same draft class that a lot of people are high on for their uh, careers for the or that they think they're going to have throughout their time in the NFL. The Chargers, a team this year that's had a lot of just ups and downs, ups and downs, wins and losses, wins and losses. I like Cincinnati to ride out the the momentum they've got going, especially with it being at home and the way they beat a division rival last week and Las Vegas the week before. I'll take Cincinnati at home. But I think it's going to be a very nice quarterback duel between the young gunslingers of Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. I mean, I could follow the trend since the bye week of loss, win, loss, win, loss, win for the Chargers. But I do like Burrow too much. I think that they, it's tough because they've had some down weeks, but then they come and do what they did against the Raiders and the Steelers. And you think, okay, maybe they're back. So I am picking the Bengals. I do think they win this game. Being at home, that that's what the important thing is here. If it's really cold, Chargers aren't going to like that. No, they will not. Looking at, goodness gracious, the 0-10 Lions. 0-10-1 Lions, I should say. Phasing off against the Vikings. Kirk Cousins has been so solid this year, but no one's talking about it because the Vikings have a losing record. They lost to Alvin Cook this week. It's going to be Madison. Well, I think Madison might even be hurt, but who we got winning this game? I have Detroit. This is the week. I mean, look at their last three games. Tie in overtime against Pittsburgh. Lose by three against Cleveland. Lose by two against Chicago. Do they lose by one this week? I mean, but no. My my opinion is they win at home. They get their first win of the year in a divisional game against Minnesota. I'm not high on Minnesota anyways. I just think Detroit might be due for it. I want, I want to see them get a win. Just one win. With the way the Vikings season is gone, I do feel like I, I almost want to do it with you. But I just cannot get myself. The Lions will find uh, a way. They will find a way to lose. It'll, it'll be some aggravating touchdown with three minutes left. Or, or like a 67-yard field goal to break Justin Tucker's <laughs> record against them from earlier yes. this year. Yes. Something like that. What would be even cooler is another tie, but we probably won't get that. So We're not that lucky. Yep. We're pulling, I'm picking the Vikings, Giants, Dolphins, Daniel Jones, questionable this week. Tua Tungo-Vailoa had the highest passer, uh, passer completion percentage last week. For someone with over 30 passes. Don't look now, but Miami has won four in a row. I think they make it five this weekend. It's at home. The Giants still aren't a really good team, in my opinion. They came off a win against Philadelphia last week. A pretty ugly win, too, if you watch the game. I like Miami. They looked good against Carolina. And, I mean, they also beat the Ravens a few weeks ago. So, I mean, I like Miami at home, especially with Tua. I'm I'm still holding out hope for Tua in his NFL career. As long as he stays healthy. Yeah. Dolphins look like they're turning it around. This week, they have to win. If they lose, it's all over for them. But 
they are on the upswing. They cover that four-point spread, in my opinion. Looking ahead to Eagles-Jets. I mean, the Eagles could win or lose any week, it feels like. Oh, yeah. And against the Jets, it's hard to tell. That seven-point spread is too much for me. But who do you have winning? I like Philadelphia. I don't know if they cover the spread. I honestly think this will be a super low-scoring game. Philadelphia lost last week 13-7. to I don't think it'll be that low, but I think it'll be something similar, 17-14 to or 20-14, to something along those lines. But I think Philadelphia will get it done on the road. Jalen Hurts was not good last week. I think that continues this week, but not enough for the Jets to get the win. Eagles on a game-winning field goal. We move on to another really bad team, the Texans hosting the Colts and the Colts this season. Man. Yeah. they. Whew. I feel like they're a great team. But I mean, the record does not show it. It's a very solid team, especially with the bounce back Carson Wentz has had. I mean, you look at his style in this year, 2,790 yards, 21 touchdowns, and only five picks. I mean, he's played just about as solid as you can ask an NFL quarterback to play. I really like the way Wentz has played. I love the way Jonathan Taylor has played. Over 1,200 rushing yards, 14 rushing touchdowns. I like the Colts on the road in this divisional matchup. I think they're going to blow Houston out in their own stadium. Yeah, I agree with that. They're going to handle business against the teams they're supposed to. They had a close game against Jacksonville, but I don't hold that against them. Jacksonville has shown up against some good teams this year. Moving on to the afternoon slate, Washington football team going to Las Vegas. Yeah. I mean, this is an important game for Washington. It is. And Washington has won three in a row. Um, It's going to be interesting to see if they make it four in a row. They looked really good against Tampa Bay and Carolina. They kind of snuck out of Seattle with a win. They Seattle should have gotten that onside kick. Did you see that? I did. I hate the fact that that dude was one yard too far inside the yep. hashes. Man, what a heartbreaker for Seattle. But I really like the way Washington has played. But I think that being at home, the Was- or the Las Vegas Raiders snap Washington's win streak. Yeah, I'm going to go with Washington. I think this game is just too important. Love me some Ron Rivera. Don't doubt Taylor Heineke, Alex Houston, co-sports director. I love Taylor Heineke. Said that in the bullpen. Never doubt him. I love Taylor Heineke. Never doubt him. That's a dog. He is. He's a good player. He is. He's on my fantasy team and not the best fantasy player, but he's going to consistently give you some points. He he, he gets the job done. Exactly. Moving on to Jaguars Rams. Remember when the Rams were supposed to be in the Super Bowl and And now no one's talking about them? Remember when the Rams lost at Lambeau this past Sunday? Yeah, I do. I do. I do remember that. I, I watched that game. Well, who do we have winning this one? Los Angeles. I think they're going to bounce back. OBJ is battling some sort of, I think it was a lower back injury that he um, he obtained in the Green Bay game. So watch out for the way that he plays moving forward. He also still needs to establish that connection with Matthew Stafford, in my opinion, and that's been quite evident ever since he got to Los Angeles. But I think they're not going to have a problem with Trevor Lawrence and company at home, so I think they're going to win. I do think we get a big game from T-Law. I think he will throw for a lot of yards and several touchdowns, but it will not be enough. Rams will win by a touchdown. Do we think the Rams still make a wild card? Yeah, they'll make the playoffs. Yeah, they'll make the playoffs. I, but not a division winner, in, in my opinion. 49ers yeah. look good. I mean, uh, I think the Cardinals. Card- well, yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, the 49ers are going to compete with them. Oh, oh, for sure. To take yeah. over that second spot. Yeah. I think NFC West gets three teams in the playoffs. Yeah, keep an eye out on that. All right, this is probably the game of the afternoon slate. Ravens, Steelers. Steelers have got to bounce back after last week. But Lamar Jackson is probably on a good roll right now. But yeah, what yeah. an ugly game that was against yeah. Cleveland for Baltimore. Uh, I mean, remember the, how that first half the way it ended was just chaos. Yeah, it, let's look at the way the Pittsburgh Steelers have played this year. Started off real crappy and caught a lot of, caught a lot of crap. Got on a win streak and everybody was like, you know what? Like, let's trust Mike Tomlin. 
Then they tie the worst team in the league and lose two straight to two straight AFC opponents on the road. Gave up 41 points in both games. Yeah, so I'm going to pick Baltimore. I, I need I need more out of Pittsburgh to, to pick them. Um, even though Baltimore hasn't played great as of late, even the game against Miami and Minnesota, I'm going to pick them. They've done just enough to be 8-3. Like They've done the bare minimum in the game, so they've won and lost mm-hmm. to be 8-3. and three. Yeah, I think that Lamar will show up for this game. I yeah. don't think that's going to be an issue. you got to show up when you go to Heinz Field. So Ravens by a touchdown. 49ers, Seahawks. Seahawks season is just done. It's, yeah. It's I mean, done. DK Metcalf's not playing well. Russell, you, know what, you know what else might be done? Who? Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. They might be. I mean, Russell Wilson, obviously, that, that injury is still bothering him. It is. You, you can obviously tell. So that's an easy pick for me, and I'm sure as it is you with San Francisco being 4-1 and one on the road this year. Yep. Picking the Niners, moving on to Sunday night football. Still haven't heard a lot about the Chiefs just because they've been blah. Yeah, I mean, a, a quiet 7-4 and four since they started off really bad this year. I think that they're going to get a close divisional win being a home night game, you know, at Arrowhead. I think they win this game, but it's going to be maybe a field goal or a touchdown. I think I think Denver is a very sneaky team in their division. I mean, it's Kansas City at 7-4, and four, and then everybody else at 6-5. and five. Yeah, I completely agree that this division is the one of the most fun ones to watch this year. Denver, they got a big win against the Chargers. Patrick Sertain had that pick six. I'm still picking the Chiefs at home because it's at home. If it were at Denver, I'd probably pick the Broncos in this one. Moving on to probably the game of the week. Patriots on a tear against the Bills who can't seem to really get that thing in fifth gear. I think they turn it around this week. I like the Bills at home. Yeah. Mac Jones has been good. Not good enough for me to pick them against Josh Allen and the Bills. Yep. Those are our week 13 NFL predictions on the other side of the break. Coaching carousel chaos in college football, as well as our championship picks. Stay tuned to the scoreboard on WGL 91.1 FM. One more segment before we turn off the scoreboard for the day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. We hope you have enjoyed listening. You can listen to us every Thursday at 2 p.m. on WGL 91.1 FM or at WGLFM.com. Final segment of today's episode of The Scoreboard, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman live on WGL 91.1 FM. If you missed any part of today's show, go back and search it wherever you may find your podcast. Search The Scoreboard, and you will find me and Jacob, Apple, Spotify, Transistor, wherever you may find your podcast at. Going to get into the coaching carousel real quick, and then we're going to make some championship week picks with only a few minutes left in today's episode. So real quick, obviously, the two biggest moves in college football so far this year, Lincoln Riley, the day after saying, quote, I am not going to be the next head coach of LSU, comes out being the next head coach at USC. Hey, he didn't tell a lie. He didn't lie there. It's chess, not checkers, Jacob. Right. And honestly, it seems like Lincoln Riley was playing some 6D chess (laughs) because look at all the suspect things that have been going on around that program. All the five-star Southern Cal commits. Not Southern California as in the university, but from that region. Geographically. Yes. Yes. Man. Yes. I mean, and and that move it really kind of set off a domino effect with the transfer portal and a lot of guys decommitting um, that we did see with LSU when when they announced that um, Coach O would not be returning. We saw a lot of guys decommit, a lot of guys second-guess their commitment, and Florida. Um, we mentioned earlier in the first segment of today's show with Harson and the recruiting team, these are players that they've got to hop on ASAP, like yesterday, they got to get in contact with. So, I mean... Oklahoma's down to 13 commits. Yeah, so... 
it is not good. And honestly, like like I said, some of it's sketchy. It some is. Some of it's sketchy. OU Compliance tweeted out uh, a very just cryptic crazy, tweet. Yeah, cryptic tweet. Yeah, exactly. With the eye emojis and the 100 yes. emoji. There's there's rumors about what's happening. His contract is insanely large. They're buying his house in Norman or in Oklahoma to pay it off. Way over the, yeah. the asking price. Buying him a house in Southern Cal for six mil, I believe. Mm-hmm. And his family gets a private jet. Wherever they want to go at their at their you know dispose, dispose it's nuts. Uh, real quick, before we move on to another coach, is he the guy to turn USC around? I think he could be. I also think that it's gonna take time because it's, you're in the Pac-12. Yeah, you are. You might dominate the Pac-12, but how much respect are you gonna get for that? You're gonna have to do it several years in a row. You're gonna have to knock Oregon off the map, and I think that. And Utah. You also have a lot of drama right here. Yeah, Utah as well. I, I think there's a lot of drama now yeah. with what he's brought with them. And yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just a crazy situation. I'll say it's interesting because before we move on to LSU is how we were like, oh, LSU, uh, uh, Florida, they've got these coaches opening positions. And now you get Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Like, yeah. what? I mean – and, and a lot of people making the reference of him running from the SEC due to Oklahoma joining soon. Also, one more thing. Imagine being an Oklahoma fan right now. I know. Never had – I mean, grandparents have never seen a coaching, coaching search change, in their yeah. lifetime. How crazy is that? 1947 was the last time. <laughs> Goodness. And then they get bailed on like this. Well, as Jacob alluded to a minute ago, now we'll talk about Brian Kelly leaves the Notre Dame job in a shocking turn of – I mean, two huge shocks in less than three days – Brian Kelly turns around, takes the LSU job, and leaves a team that could potentially make the college football playoff this year. Does he fit the Baton Rouge culture? That See, I don't know about that, but I do think he's a good enough coach where it might not matter. Does I mean, he understand what the what the task is at hand? Yeah, look, now, I will say, I think it's easier to win, much easier to win at Notre Dame than it is at LSU. I mean, just look at the division you're in versus not being in a division. And I think that, he will come in and he will have a slow first two years. And then from there, it'll be determining what he's going to be, if he's going to be successful or yeah. not. Yeah, that'll be by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin if he doesn't get tur- get it in order by year three, I'd say. Also, speaking of quotes of, I'm not going to LSU, November 22nd, Brian Kelly said that Mike Tomlin said it best about him leaving Notre Dame that, it had to be some crazy, like hundreds, yeah, several hundred million dollars. Which his his contract ninety five, yeah. yeah. Um, and and the way his players found out, man, that was just that's tough. Well, and you know, it's it is his fault, but it's also not necessarily his fault. So. Yeah, he just wishes it could have happened a different way. But Florida fills their head coaching job with Billy Napier from Louisiana. That leaves I like that hire. That's a great hire. That's a guy Auburn wanted. Yeah. Um. So that leaves major programs like Oklahoma, Notre Dame, and heck, even Duke, uh, with some head coach openings. <laughs> In the college football world. So those are the college football carousels, I'm sure, by the time we return from Christmas break. Because we're not having a show next week. No, we are not. Okay, so by the time we return from Christmas break, it could also be completely different from what we're talking about now. So we'll talk about that another day. But for now, with the last few minutes of today's show, let's get into some quick predictions for Rapid Fire. Championship week, some rapid fire. Top 25 matchup, a rematch from just two or three short weeks ago. Number 10, Oregon, and number 17, Utah, Friday night, 7 p.m., ABC for the Pac-12 title. 
Give me Oregon because I do think that they're a good team. They just happen to lose games they should not have. I like Oregon as well. I think they get revenge on Utah. It's just like Lee Zimba in the 2010 Auburn Tigers said about South Carolina. It's hard to beat the same team True. twice. Moving on to Saturday morning, the Big 12 title game. This could potentially push Oklahoma State into the playoff. Number nine, Baylor, and number five, Oklahoma State um, at 11 a.m. on ABC. Do the Oklahoma State Cowboys potentially put themselves in a spot to make the college football playoff, or does Baylor give us even more debate and chaos within that top six? Yes, here's where the chaos begins. I like Baylor. Even though Oklahoma State has the defense, I like Baylor's better, and I think that Baylor... They, should have, they shouldn't have lost some of the games they lost, like Oregon, and they're going to play well in this game. See, I want to pick Baylor really bad because I've been, I've been very high on Baylor so far this year, but that game against Oklahoma at home really kind of sold it for me for Oklahoma State. I like them by like a field goal. The spread on this game is five and a half in their favor. They, I think Baylor covers. They only win by like a game-winning field goal. That's, that's honestly the toughest game this weekend. Yeah, it in. is. Moving on. Cincinnati and Houston. Cincinnati does crack the top four, so we're going to mention them real quick. Does Houston pull an upset and prove that Cincinnati should not be the top four? Well, first of all, have you seen the bowl projections where Auburn gets to play Houston? Yeah. I don't like that. Me Anyway. No. I don't think Houston will win this game, but they will cover the spread. I think this will be one of the most fun games. It'll be high scoring, and we'll have fun watching this game. Yeah, I think Cincinnati wins by like 10, like 7 or 10, and I think that they make the college football playoff. I mean, you, you can't deny an undefeated win, team like that. Yep, they're in. Yeah. So, the job for Cincinnati, just don't lose. <laughs> we'll go ahead and talk about the ACC and Easier knock it out. Done. <laughs> 7 p.m., Wake Forest and Pittsburgh, 15 versus 16. Does Pitt and a Heisman contending quarterback in Kenny Pickett win, or do the Wake Forest Demon Deacons show everybody that they were a legit team this year with Sam Hartman? They, you should know my rule. Never bet against Pitt. <laughs> no. You know, stemming from Jared Dillard as, look, Kenny Pickett, Give him the Heisman. Give I mean, him the Heisman right now. 4,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, obvious choice. But in reality, I do think Pitt is the better team. I like Kenny Pickett. Look at over under 71. It's going to be high scoring. It won't get there, but it'll be high scoring, and I'm taking the Panthers. 74 combined passing touchdowns between Pickett and Hartman. It's safe to say the ball will be aired out this weekend. I like Pitt as well. I think Kenny Pickett's just a little bit better than Sam Hartman, so I like them. Now on the opposite end of the spectrum of points. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's going to be a very high-scoring game. I think they cover the over-under. I'm going to be honest. I think they You go think over. they get there? Okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. All right, real quick, two last games to pick because we do have to get out of the studio. Big Ten, real quick, Iowa and Michigan. Does Michigan win and stay in the college football playoff picture? I mean, I really, really want to pick Iowa. Really do because I it just would be the most Michigan thing to finally beat Ohio State and then go to Iowa lose. Give me the Hawkeyes. See, Chaos. I I really want to pick Iowa too, especially because they were a top two team earlier this year. But Michigan's way too hot lately. I think Michigan wins, and I think we're going to get a Michigan uh, college football playoff team this year. I mean, what a win that was against it was incredible. Ohio State. Incredible. Finally, the biggest game of the weekend: number one Georgia and number three Alabama. This could. Alabama winning could potentially turn the playoff upside down as well. Georgia has been the absolute most dominant team in college football this year. Who wins? You want to know how crazy crazy I think this weekend's going to get? This is upset weekend. Alabama gets it done. Really? I do think Alabama gets it done. It's Georgia. That I think Georgia pulls a Georgia this weekend, and Alabama wins. This will be Bryce Young's Heisman performance. See, I'm going to have to disagree with you. Auburn fans don't win either way in this situation, but I think Georgia wins. I, I really do. I think that defense shuts down Bryce Young like Auburn did last weekend. Only allowing 6.9 points per game. That's the lowest going to a championship week 
ever. I think it's going to be the Georgia defensive line facing off against Bryce Young. That'll be the key difference in the game. Thank you guys for tuning in for the last episode of the scoreboard in 2021 and of this fall semester. We've got one more semester. Join us back in January. For Bay Mars, I'm Jacob Hillman. Have a safe Christmas break and War Eagle. You've been listening to The Scoreboard on 91.1 Weagle with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Listen every Thursday at 2 p.m. as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at weglfm.com. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at wegl underscore au.